Alrighty, hey, got it to you. That's the first time in church I've ever heard someone thank the Lord for thongs, but there you go. So I think that's the Australian uh, coming through there. So thank you, Peter. Good to be together. If you're visiting with us, this is St. Luke's. This is how we roll. It's all very normal and we're relaxed about it and we trust you can relax as well. It's hot. Uh, that's because it's summer. So there you go. If you're wondering, it's because it's summer. Good to be together. Hey, just a little announcement, mainly one that's for the... Um... Oh, how are you going there, Dave? A uh, <laughs> uh, little announcement mainly for the 11 o'clock. No kids program next week uh, or the week after because that's the both of them are um, public holidays at the 11 o'clock. But we'll still have kids programs at the 9 o'clock. So there you go. Probably doesn't affect any of you. But if you were thinking of coming with all your kids next week to the 11, uh, we won't have a kids program. So there you go. That's just a little announcement for you this morning. Oh, it's all right. It's good to be together. Uh, trust that you're doing well. I hope you hit a hole in one this week. Uh, I did, uh, but it was with it was with my second ball, so it doesn't count. So there you go. I, uh, yeah, I, well, you can't count it. I'm just honest. My kids are saying you can totally count it. I'm like, but instead I just dropped a shot and called it a three, just uh, just to uh, just to keep it safe. So there you go. Good to be together this morning. Alrighty, up on the screen. Uh, George MacDonald, I couldn't find, I found this reference, but I couldn't find the novel, um, so I'm trusting that it's true, but even if it's not true, it's a great quote. Uh, George MacDonald, in one of his novels, he writes regarding a woman who had met sudden sorrow. George MacDonald is a uh, Scottish author, 18th, in the 1800s, early 1900s, um, yeah, late 18s, early 1900s. Um, he wrote this in regards to a woman who had met sudden sorrow. I wish I had never been made, she exclaims petulantly and bitterly, to which her friend quietly replies, My dear, you're not made yet. You're only being made. And this is the maker's process. You're not made yet. Rather, you are being made. And this is the maker's process. This is God's process. This is something that God is doing in your life, working in your life, the the making of you. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. We're being made into the image of Christ from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. In the, in the message it reads, and we're being transformed much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and, be- and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. You're not made yet, but you are being made. Uh, last Sunday, one of the things I was trying to convey, uh, I had the Jahari window in the background, I didn't really talk to it, but there's this reality that there's the aspect of ourselves which is known to us and known to others that's open. There's the aspect of ourselves that's known to ourselves but not known to others, that's called the hidden. There's the aspect of ourselves that's not known to us but is known to others. Those are those blind spots that we all love so amazingly when we eventually do discover them. Uh, I've mentioned it before. I didn't realize people were calling me Foghorn as a nickname behind my back. I don't even know why. Um, and then there's the unknown self, unknown to the self and unknown to others. There's, there's an element to us that's a mystery. That's known by God, but not known by us. We've not yet discovered, not yet comprehended, not yet got our head around the reality of of these aspects of our character, of our personality, of our disposition disposition of who we are, of how we're wired and put together. And life's a journey of discovering that as we journey with God. 
the point I was wanting to make is that uh, the relationship we have with God, we, God, we are fully known to, to God and yet loved and accepted and valued, you know, fully known and yet loved and accepted and valued, means that this relationship with God is a relationship of growth and of development where, where the love and the care and the concern of God is going to lead us into all understanding as God leads us in wisdom. Uh, not growth and development to simply be the fullest version of yourself. You know, the, the best version of yourself that you could possibly be divorced from the Creator. But the sense in which your relationship with God is one in which God wants to lead you to become the best image-bearing be- image version of yourself that He has created you to be. Growing to ever more fully reflect the nature of Christ to the world around us as an image-bearer. With this in mind, what we want to say is that not only is the love of God infinite loving kindness extended towards us. It is. The, the, the love of God is infinite loving kindness extended towards us. But also we want to say that it is redemptive love. It's redemptive love. It's a love that makes one holy. It's a love that makes one whole. It's a love that makes one Wholesome. It's infinite loving kindness that is a redemptive kind of love. A kind of love that fosters and grows and develops and brings the best out of us. Redemptive love that heals and mends and restores and forgives and renews and ennobles and reconciles and recycles and holds and keeps and protects and covers and teaches and shapes and encourages and awakens and comforts and renews. And we could add a whole lot of things to that list as well. The infinite Loving kindness of God extended towards us. That is a redemptive love that seeks in our lives to bring us to life. To heal, to mend, restore, to make whole in whatever way, shape, form that takes place for different ones of us. Little things, big things. Redemptive love that chases after you. Psalm 23 verse 6. Your beauty and in the message it says your beauty and love chases after me. Every day of my life. Your beauty and love chases after after me. Uh, the NIV, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Infinite loving kindness that knows and accepts, but also a redemptive love that is seeking in all things to, to, to redeem and to restore and to make whole. All right, so let me see if I can uh, this Sunday land this a little bit more concretely in the Monday to Saturday realities of life. Uh, Like I said, in George MacDonald's novel, one of the characters meets sudden sorrow. Sudden sorrow is a concrete reality in life. Sudden sorrow is a a real thing that we face, that we have to navigate, that we have to deal with, that, that, that comes along in life from time to time. Sudden sorrow. As are all sorts of things. You know the concrete realities of life. Going back to work or school after the summer holidays. That's not always the most exciting Thing in life, kind of thing, having to having to re-engage with that. Uh, interestingly, on the Black Clash last night, they interviewed Stephen Fleming, I think, and, and, he, and he said it. It's he said, "How are the nerves?" kind of thing, and he said, "It's that anxious time of the year, anyway." I was like, "Hey, Stephen, you've got it. Um, your average should be higher, but that's right. It's that anxious time of the year, anyway. This is an anxious time. We have to re-engage in those normal rhythms that we've so enjoyed being disengaged from over the last." month, more or less. Uh, concrete realities. Our struggling as a parent with a child or with a particular aspect of parenting. Uh, finding ourselves overcommitted with responsibilities, perhaps. Uh, 
uh, navigating some stormy seas in your marriage or with a sibling or with a friend in some sort of relationship. These are concrete realities that we face in life. Having, old mate, having to put up with old mate in the cubicle next to you. That could be why you're, you're nervous about re-engaging at work this year. Struggling with your GP to find a diagnosis for something that's happening in your physical body that isn't quite right, but at the moment you can't quite put your finger on it and figure out what it is that's going on. These are the kinds of concrete realities of life. Feeling like you don't fit, that you can't make friends. Feeling overwhelmed by the noise of life, maybe ever gloomy news bulletins. Global warming, the challenges of a pandemic or North Korea or whatever it might be. These, these are real realities in life. The rat race. Uh, the, the basic definition of the rat race I saw this week was, was, which why, was why I added it in here. Fiercely competitive struggle for wealth and power. What is the rat race? A fiercely competitive struggle for wealth and power. Well, that, these are concrete realities in life. Kind of things that make up life. And I've chosen, obviously, the ones that we would genuinely, uh, generally describe as being negative or, or more anxiety-inducing or difficult to navigate. I've, I've picked the, the nastier ones rather than the other ones. There, there's many lovely and desirable concrete realities in life. Sunsets and ice-cold beer in the fridge and the loving embrace of a spouse and sleep-ins. And, and Peter prayed this morning about coffees and thongs and all sorts of other things. So there you go. Uh, the latest TV series on, your, on Netflix is calm or whatever kind of thing. These, these are the kinds of things you don't really need a sermon to work out how to cope with that. You know, your, your, your favourite TV show is coming this week that you've been waiting for. Oh, let me do a sermon on that so I can help you to kind of work your way through that. You'll be alright. So I've kind of picked the, the more negative ones. Visible, tangible, identifiable realities. Uh, normally processed internally or reacted to. Or normally reacted to and then processed internally. It just depends on your type of personality. But there's some sort of reaction and action in life. There's some sort of processing life. Sometimes we get them around the wrong way. Sometimes we do one before the other and have to reverse and kind of. These are these are normal kinds of things in life. Healthy, straightforward. Trying to figure that out. Uh, I mentioned my anxiety over the last year, end of, end of the year before, but over last year. Um, you know, this is a tangible, concrete reality in life. Why don't I go and see a doctor? Uh, saw a psychologist, got some medication that was helped. Learned about the importance, oh, I already knew kind of the importance of exercise, but in those moments where I didn't feel like exercising, go exercising. Uh, got Lisa, that when I'm reaching for the Tim Tam, she'd say, no, 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 and hand me my running shoes and send me out on the street because she's such a loving, kind, caring wife. <laughs> Uh, you know, sit with um, friends that have navigated anxiety and dealt with anxiety. And well, how did you kind of work with that? These are the this is the process we go to, and you, you build a toolbox with tools in it that you, you pull out different tools at different times to figure out how to kind of work through this, get through this, move through this, live through this, or in it and amongst it. Um, and we do this all the time across everything: life, parenting, and grief, and finances, and drama with work colleagues, etc., etc. How we live our lives. It's not always easy. Certainly not always straightforward. It can get really complicated. Uh, we don't all have the same toolboxes. We don't all have the same tools. We don't all have the same access to the same resources. It means people deal with things in different ways. Sometimes we find coping mechanisms that they help us to cope, but they might not be helping us to flourish in life, even though they help us to cope. Not always easy can be tricky but we do our best 
What I want to add to this, though, is that walking with Jesus, alive to the work of God in my life, you and your life, there's a redemptive love element unfolding in the, the midst of this whole kind of situation. In all situations, at all times. Not God orchestrating the anxiety or orchestrating conflict with a spouse or a workmate or whatever kind of thing. Not, not, not God orchestrating those things, but God present in those realities of life. The redemptive love of God present to us in those realities of life. I think what's required of us in those moments, though, or in life in general, is to cultivate a Christ consciousness. Uh, not the agnosticism of our ordinary consciousness. That was the sermon for January, like four years ago or something. The Gnosticism, the agnosticism of our ordinary consciousness. Where we, we, we follow Christ and we profess to be Christians. But in the kind of general Monday to Friday, we kind of just get lost to that element of our lives at times. And we, we, we have a toolbox that we've put together, but the voice of God's not necessarily present in that. What's required of us is to create a Christ consciousness that tunes in, that's attentive to the work of the Spirit in our lives. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you are labor, heavy burden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a lovely verse, but it's an invitation to participate in life in a certain way. I've got the message translation up there because I think Eugene Peterson does well in highlighting some things. I can't really see them, put them in yellow, but he's careful to highlight. Go to Jesus. Get away with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Work with Jesus. Watch Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Keep company with Jesus. It's a lovely verse, but it actually calls us to an attentiveness in life. Where we're tuning in in the midst of the concrete realities of life to something that's a little bit more invisible, a little bit more mysterious, a little bit less tangible. The redemptive love of God at work in our lives, the voice of the Spirit present to us in our lives. This is our participation with redemptive love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, through him, the world might be saved. Everlasting life. What's everlasting life? Life, the everlasting life is eternal life in the age to come. But it's also the life of Christ, the life of God in this age, invading into this age. Qualitative life of being whole and wholesome and, and holy. It's the, the life of Christ, God's life for us, invading into the here and now of today. To be saved is to experience salvation uh, when all is said and done, but to be saved is to be experiencing the salvation of God at work in our lives in an ongoing manner in the here and now of today. Salvation is the redemptive love of God at work in our lives all of the time. Healing, mending, restoring. Our lives formed and shaped by God's word, by the voice of the spirit. But like I said, it requires a Christ consciousness. It requires attentiveness and response. This is the life of faith and trust that we live as Christians. A couple of verses that I like, Acts 17, 26 to 28. He's made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. 
so that they should seek the Lord, that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He is not far from any one of us. For it's in him that we live and move and have our being. Some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. That we might reach for him and he is not far from any one of us. For it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And the concrete realities of life that are unfolding, and I've painted a picture of some more negative ones. The redemptive love of God is not far from any one of us. It's in Him that we live and move and have our being. It's in Him that we're we're navigating these complexities. If we would just reach for Him and find Him. Find that voice of the Spirit. Romans 8.28 We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. For those that are called according to His purposes. James 1 verse 5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, uh, liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to you. think if, we, if we're just living in the, the what have I done, the white side, if we're just living in the visible concrete toolbox, tools, live response kind of reality, that, that's good and appropriate and that's how we live life and there's all sorts of kind of self-help books that you can read that'll help you to find more tools for the toolbox and better skills and that's, we never want to do away with that. But as Christ follows, we add a component to that. A component that is at work in our lives that we're often not attentive to. It's the redemptive love of God that is looking also to work with us, to guide us, to lead us, to mold us, to shape us, to enlarge us. As we work through these realities in life. And I think when we, 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 we slow down and we're attentive to the work of God in our lives, we're no longer living a secular life, a self-managed life, a life as... We see fit, but now we're living the Christian life that we profess to want to be living. A life infused and influenced and ennobled via our faith and trust in Jesus. Becoming whole in the redemptive love of God. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And as Rosie said last night, uh, last Sunday in the middle of worship, she just mentioned um, that from Samuel, I think, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now we're not living a secular life, we're living a Christian life where there's an attentiveness that says, in all things, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. In my anxiety, I, um, what, what unfolded was a whole bunch of really helpful stuff, really helpful tools, really helpful skills uh, down that side. They're brilliant, absolutely brilliant. wouldn't want to do away with them. As I slow down there and I put that, the antenna up to pay attention as best I can to God, what are you wanting to do in my life in this situation beyond the anxiety? And, and I move away, what I, what, I, what I moved away from was moving away from seeing God as a utility, which is what we so easily do. What, what we so easily do is move God from that side across to our toolbox. So now we've got, I've seen the psychologist, I've got some meds, that's good, and exercise, that's good. And then I've got God in the toolbox as well. That's the other thing. God will rescue free from my anxiety. And I'll, I'll just come in. God's another utility. The, uh, the mysteriously shaped crescent that we have to get out, that we, we're glad that we can pull out our pocket whenever we need. But God's not one of the tools that sits in the toolbox. God is the redemptive love that envelops the whole situation. So now, having 
decided, I don't think I should be trying to leverage God as utility in this situation. I should be paying attention to maybe is there something that you're wanting to grow in me, develop in me, heal in me, mend in me? What are you looking to do in my life? I'm not saying God's the cause of the anxiety, but God's present in that. Well, what might God be wanting to do in that journey? I move to an openness, an awareness, an attentiveness to God. Start to begin to realize, hey, this is a God, you, you're helping me to understand what it's like for other people that are facing anxiety. Well, that's going to make you better in a pastoral situation when you're working with people facing anxiety, having kind of, I know what that's like. Uh, not because I read it in a book, but because yeah, I, I, know, I know what that's like. It it's, feels suffocating. I know that. Started to share some stories, that was wonderful. And then after a while, you reflect on that. You go, man, this, with, with the kind of people that I'm journeying life with, being vulnerable, um, that's a really, that turns out to be a really healthy kind of thing. Being vulnerable turns out to be what, what you get love and kindness reflected back to you in a beautiful kind of way. I think I told the story getting a blood, uh, blood test at one stage. I, it was in the little tiny, like, you know, one metre by one metre cubicle that they do that in and shut the door and the windows on and call it a great space. She goes, oh, she says, you're obviously nervous about needles. I said, you know what? I have no trouble with needles whatsoever. I've got some generalised anxiety at the moment and we're in a coffin at the moment and it's not feeling great. <laughs> and the other nurse, the lovely nurse, she said, she said, that's no trouble. Let's open up the door and the window and I'll go as quick as I can. And instantly the anxiety just kind of disappeared. It's like, I'll oh, take your time. I've got two hours. There's no, no hurry anymore. Just being a little bit of vulnerable and just going, oh, this, is, this is kind of where I'm at. Start to share that with people. And, and 99.9 times out of 100, what I discovered reflected back to me was love and care and concern and kindness. And I, got, I start to think on that. I go, yeah, I'm probably not as vulnerable with people as I should be. I probably work harder to, to have a facade. And then you think more about that and you go, hang on, we're all doing that. You're doing that all the time, working hard to have a facade. And like I said last Sunday, the mask is really healthy. The actual ones in the pandemic and the masks that we live with socially. Your, your neighbours aren't wanting you to just kind of drop everything and open and just download. Just go easy. I'm not wanting you to do that like in an instant. But as we slowly learn to do that with one another with wisdom we discover it's not dumping on each other. It's actually learning to live in wholesome relationships. And it actually, and you go, the redemptive love of God is at work in these relationships and this situation. How good is that? And you're starting to focus less, or I was starting to focus less on trying to escape anxiety and more on what are you, what are you wanting to do, God, in this moment, in this situation? Passage says that when we're weak, he is strong. And we work so hard to be strong all the time and never test that. You know, I, I joked as a youth pastor, we used to talk about, never ask God to teach you faith. <laughs> Don't pray that prayer. But there, there actually comes moments where faith will be required, so you, you don't necessarily need to ask it. Oh, Lord, when, you're, when we're weak, you're strong. Oh, God, make me weak. Oh, we don't, we don't, I'm not suggesting you pray that prayer. What I am saying, though, is we will find ourselves in moments of weakness in life. And rather than just run straight to the toolbox to fix it, if we're attentive to God, if we're living this life of faith and trust, we go, oh, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm not feeling, not feeling really super good about this. 
But I'm looking to you and I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you. Can you be strong when I'm weak? And what I discover that the, the, the passage that is supposedly true, it turns out it is true. When we're weak, he is strong. If we're attentive, if we pay attention, we discover the redemptive love of God at work. So I slow down. I put up the antenna of faith. I think soften the antenna of faith down. It's like you. I better put that up. Oh, trapped. It's stuck. (laughs) Just get that up. All the kotanga, that's all you've got. kind of thing. Doesn't have to be flash. Start to tune into that voice. And you discover the redemptive love of God is at work. I framed things this morning around sorrow, anxiety, or the rat race, or difficulties, or struggles in life, or these kind of the impoverished moments that we find ourselves in. But that's kind of an impoverished way of looking at the situation. The reality is, all of life should be outworked with an attentiveness to the voice of God. If we're only looking to do that in the low points of life, it's probably a little indicator that I'm doing the right thing, but God's still a utility that I call upon in the difficulties and the strife and the complexities rather than the one who I'm seeking to be present to and allowing to be present to me in the totality. It's natural, though, in those difficult moments we we tune in because we're looking for help but if we learn to pay attention in the moments where things are going well when the business transaction was the greatest business transaction you've ever done where the property sold where the family celebration was the grandest one you've ever had when we when we learn and choose to tune into the voice of the spirit in those moments of as well we discover oh the redemptive love of god's actually at work in all of these situations of life. And when I pay attention to that, I discover I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm developing. We go astray in the good as much as in the bad. And perhaps more likely we go astray in the good than in the bad. Perhaps it's more likely that in the bad we run to God. Even though we may be treating God a little bit like a tool in a toolbox, we, we run to God. But in the good we go our own way can lead ourselves astray in the good. So how do we do this? I'm talking about cultivating a Christ consciousness. How it's done is not as important as the fact that it is done. And it's going to look different for different people and personality types and people at different ages and stages in life. But in some way, shape or form, it will look something like the last 2,000 years with the Christian disciplines and practices that we've had unfolding. Look, something like that. If your way of connecting with God doesn't look like something that was unfolding in the last 2,000 years, could maybe look for some other things as well. Might be a good idea. Be different for every one of us, but it looks something like something of the last 2,000 years. Sitting with Jesus in stillness and contemplation. Talked about that. In conversations with confidants or friends or supervisors. Uh, I like to sit with books early in the morning. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. Others don't like books, but they like to sit with ten people and discuss in detail. Different people wired in different ways, but you discover as you process it verbally, as you share with friends, as you talk back and forth, you discover the wisdom of God being reflected back to you in a fellow image bearer. 
journaling or writing out your reflections, reading a devotion. These are the kinds of things that are the practical ways in which we put that antenna up. Prayer, fasting, worship, communion, community, the preaching of God's word. These are all kinds of different things, of course. They all involve a disposition of attentiveness. They all involve some sort of commitment to setting aside some time to be still in some way and to pay attention. Things you do, the actual things that you do in your day or in your week or in your month or in the year. That you give time and energy to. But as you do that, you discover the redemptive love of God at work. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola. I'm not French. I struggle with the French and all the other languages that aren't English. He put together what's known as the Daily Examine. Uh, I posted it on Facebook this week. If you on the St. Luke's Facebook page, you would have seen it. I emailed it out this week in the, um, from the pastor's desk newsletter. Uh, but the, the Daily Examine is just a... It's an invitation just to sit and be still for a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes. And reflect on the last 24 hours. And uh, you're invited to... Um, through, through four different kind of phases. I've got that picture up there, but I've got, there's a different one on Facebook. Uh, presence, gratitude, review, and response to concentrate and to consider the experiences of the last 24 hours. Where was God in the last 24 hours? Where did I feel most closest to God? Where did I feel most distant? What were the moments in the last 24 hours that I felt like I reflected God to the world around me? What were the moments in the last 24 hours where I'm aware that I did not reflect God to the world around me in that moment? An invitation to sit, to be still, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and guide you in regards to what's been happening in the last kind of 24 hours. Why did I get angry in that situation? I'm getting angry in that situation all of the time. Okay, beyond that, God, what might you want to be teaching me or developing in my life in the midst of we spend a lot of our time, especially as parents, but humans in general, we spend a lot of time looking to control others, looking to conform others to patterns that will work for the household. That's called parenting, and that's normal and healthy and good. But I, I, I do, I'm aware that we think we're raising kids, but the longer we get on, the more we discover that our kids are raising us and um, developing us. And we thought, I'm going to really help this kid to learn character. And we discover, this kid's really helping me to learn character. Isn't it meant to be the other way around? So we spend a lot of time trying to control and sort it out, which is appropriate and right. That's what parents do. But then you go, oh, God, what might you wanting to me? I'm feeling like I'm hitting this. Well, what are you wanting to teach me or help me to understand in this month? Work colleagues, business environments. We spend a lot of time trying to manipulate and control. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the, the normal way of healthy life of you know, trying to figure things out. But God, what might you be wanting to do in me? Pay so much attention to what I'm trying to do in the world. What God are you wanting to do in me? Well, the examine is an invitation to cultivate an awareness and to pay attention and to tune in and to reflect on, on the last 24 hours and see what God might be wanting to do in you. And you discover as you do that, 
my challenge is to have a go at doing that maybe 10 times over the next two weeks. Kind of. And what you sometimes discover is each day you end up writing down, I think God's trying to teach me this. And when you've written down that every day for 10 days, you start to go, maybe I should just kind of embrace the lesson and, and run with it. I'll send that out this week. All right, let's stand together this morning. Uh, it says on the screen, we are St. Luke's. That's the little thing that we have. St. Luke's is not a building or a logo. It's a community of people that gathers together. We are St. Luke's. There's, a, there's some things that we're not. Well, we are, but these are not the... These are not really what defined us. We're not ultimately nice, moralistic, secular humanists, though. We don't, we don't get together as a club of nice people trying to be more nice in the world. Though there'd be nothing wrong with that. That's, that's probably more admirable than the things that bring other people together at times. Club of people that want to be nice people and want to be more nice as time goes on. Yeah, so let's not dismiss that as silly, but there's something about following Christ that is beyond secular humanism. Our lives are not quests to become the fullest version of ourselves as divined by ourselves. Our lives are a journey to become the fullest version of ourselves as defined by Christ. As we're called to be image bearers, to reflect the nature of God in the world. So we're actually people that are called to be Christ followers that spend time with Christ and listen to Christ and respond to the voice of Christ in our lives. Living in the redemptive love of God and attentive to the presence of God and responding accordingly. So with that in mind, let me close in prayer for you this morning. As you go this morning, Go knowing that the infinite loving kindness of God holds you. And that the redemptive love of God is at work in your life. In all situations and circumstances. As you go this morning, go with a fresh commitment to following Jesus. To cultivating a Christ consciousness. To making time to be attentive to the voice of God. As you do, watch as the things of earth grow strangely dim. Certainly they don't disappear, but rather than being shaped by the rat race and the winds of life, you'll notice it's the redemptive love of God that is making you the person you were created to be. And in all things, may you know the grace of God. May you know that you're held in God's love, that you're alive in Christ, that you're full of the Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Go in the love and grace of God this morning. Enjoy one another's company, but also make time to hear the voice of God. Tea coffee out in the foyer. Don't forget to collect your kids at least in the next hour or so.